This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com hi everybody peter greenberg here with another edition of the ion travel podcast when it comes to travel the numbers continue to be depressing on a worldwide level airlines are expected to lose an astounding 84 billion dollars this year so it's time perhaps essential to break down those figures and try to understand what it means to us as travelers so i always talk with aviation analyst mike boyd of the boyd aviation group to connect or at least deconstruct the dots and as the major legacy carriers seem to be in a race to the bottom to see who can shrink the fastest there are some surprises for air travelers it's the low cost low fare airlines that may be leading the recovery i talk with president and ceo of spirit airlines ted christie and the chief commercial officer for frontier daniel sure first up my conversation with mike boyd mr mike boyd how are you sir i'm doing just fine sir just fine now, if you looked at the numbers, uh, you know, the IATA is telling us the airlines are going to lose $84 billion this year. U.S. airlines are hemorrhaging $5 billion a month. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, huge furloughs of 19000 at American, 13000 at United. Uh, Southwest Airlines telling their employees to either prepare for pay cuts or furloughs. Uh, when is this going to end? It's going to end when people get confidence to fly. And the challenge is not with the airline industry. 
the confidence lacks when they think they might arrive someplace where everything's closed. Or, or, they can't get, or they can't get home. Or they can't get, you know, they're going to be quarantined for 14 days and can't get home. Or where they find out that when they get there, you know, it, it's, it's a place that, again, has been shut down. We've got to open things up. Because getting on an airplane is safe. Going through an airport in the USA is safe. What is unknown is when you get off the airplane. I think you're safe that way. But if all the restaurants are closed, you ain't going. Right. Or if the restaurants aren't available to you when you want to go. Exactly. That has to reopen because air travel is about getting from A to B and the B has to have some reason to go there. And if everything's closed, they're not going. Or if the B has a quarantine requirement suddenly, they're not going. So do you think that, for example, we can divide this between domestic and international. Uh, It's my thought, and I think you might concur, that travel, when it does come back, will be driven first by leisure travel. It already had, had leisure travel has already started coming back. Right. You, you've seen where uh, our, our friends at Sun Country say it's coming back. Allegiance almost completely back with their fleet. Now they don't have the load factors they they want, but their fleet is now flying again. So leisure travel has come back. I thought it was initially just going to be dollars that were earmarked for trips earlier in the year. It's more than that now. People want to get out of Dodge and go t- take a trip. All right. So that's domestic. <clears throat> International is an entirely different situation. International is a disaster. 31% of all U.S. emplanements are generated by international, directly or indirectly, and it's dead. And that's where the revenue is. That's where the revenue is, and that's where the volume is, and that's what's closed down. I mean, you heard United Airlines. You want to go to France, you better be able to prepare for it because you can't. You know, the issue is, and of course, Trans-Pacific is a disaster. I mean, China's dropped from... 8.2 8.2 million last year, it's down to probably a normal level of about 1.5 and it didn't come back. You're saying it's not going to come back? It is not coming back. Of the 8.2, 6 million of that was Chinese tourists. Chinese tourists don't come to the U.S. anymore, and no U.S. tourist in their right mind goes to China right now. All right, but let's flip the table. Why are the Chinese not coming here? Two reasons. One, they're told we're a very bad place. The politics have changed in the last three years, number one. And second of all, the economy is not very good over there. We used to watch people when we yeah, had the a, average spend, by the way, the average spend for a Chinese traveler in the U.S. two years ago for a week was $7,000. That's, that's the average. That almost doubles what, what Americans spend. Right. And, and when we had our Huanying Ambassador Program, our ambassador program at Las Vegas, we found out not only were these very nice people, they're very honest people. Because when they were asked, do you have more than $10,000 in cash? They'd say, oh, of course. Secondary screening, tying up my people, <laughs> screwing around with it. No, it was, it was a wonderful thing. But those people aren't coming because the government tells them how bad we are. You want to ride a, a, a subway in Beijing, you're American, you'd better not be alone. Because there's a lot of things stirred up against Americans. And secondly, the coronavirus situation has not helped at all. So that's DOA for a while. I think it's DOA for a very long while with, with the changes that have taken place in China economically. I mean, number one, you know, the, uh, we have a lot of banks failing. We have a number of things happening there where the dollar or the yuan that was being used in Las Vegas ain't there no more. Plus, you've got Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and Thailand. Thailand's still closed. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part. Those aren't places that those are places where you can, look, having lived in Taiwan, I know at least this, you can trust that government over there. You can probably trust all those governments over there. They're trying to keep people safe. And I think they're f- afraid of this disease because of how bad it got in China initially, and they don't want it to happen there again. 
So you, know, you, have a, you have entire airlines that are grounded. They're not flying. Look at Australia. Exactly. I mean, you know, Qantas is great, except you can't fly them. I mean, the only flight that Qantas <clears throat> has got going right now is a flight to nowhere. Yeah, exactly. A Literally a flight to nowhere, and it's sold out. The airlines are doing that around the world. China Airlines has done it. Japan Airlines has done it. I mean, it, it's kind of a unique thing, but that ain't gonna, that's not going to pay the freight. One of the things that one of the Chinese airlines has tried to do, I'd be interested to see if it happens here, is an all-you-can-fly pass within domestic region. Uh, and it seems to be working well within regional travel in China, because that's come back. It has not come back. I are beg you, to differ. Are you serious? So take a look at the numbers. We saw them yesterday, where they showed about all the flights that are canceled in the rest of the world, and then China, and it goes straight up in a line. Really? Very much the, um, the, the, uh, the reverse of what they say about how many people were sick over there. I'm, I, look, I know this. We're an expert on China. You cannot trust what they're telling you. You cannot trust them. They're not coming back any more than the rest of the world, and they're not canceling less flights. They just don't show them. All right, so they're ghost flights. They're ghost flights. All right, so saying that, but going back to the concept of the all-you-can-fly pass to get people to come back. That should be a barn burner. It yeah. should be a barn burner anywhere in the world. Right. But if people don't have money, and if the flight is canceled, you can't get on it. I'm just saying, anything you have, we're experts on this. We know China. I live there. The problem with China is anything coming out of the Chinese government, whether it comes from a U.S. source or a Chinese source, if it comes from within China, you got to take it with a grain of salt or the entire salt shaker. Okay. Putting China on the table for a second, moving on to domestic flying within this country, what's going to really generate you know, a real return? The real return is having people confident that when they get to their destination, they're not going to be quarantined. When they get to their destination, uh, they'll be able to use restaurants. When they get to their destination, they're not going to get the disease. All those uncertainties are out there. I, I, I said that in a recent presentation. It's a fact that you know, we have misinformation out there. We have people are frightened legitimately about this disease, and they're not really sure what it is. So if that's the case, I'm staying home. we got to address those things. And how are we addressing that confidence level? How are we mitigating that fear? Well, we don't have enough. Like, for example, the CDC came out what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and said we studied two flights and find out you can probably get COVID on an airplane. They didn't clarify what they had studied. They had two charter flights last March before any sanitation was done, carrying people from northern Italy, where there was a huge outbreak, back to Seoul, Korea. They didn't, they didn't qualify that. But the average person on the street reads this and the CDC says we might be able to get it on an airplane. I don't know if you heard this morning, I guess IATA came out and said a lightning strike is more likely right now. Than getting COVID on a plane. Than getting COVID on a plane. We, people have to know that. But even if they don't get COVID on an airplane, they really want to go someplace where it's open. And we keep opening things, closing things. Uh, we're not really sure what is open or closed. I mean, look, you can go to a Walmart, but you can't go to a small hardware store. Nonsense like that has to stop. Exactly. And the other thing is, look at, look at Hawaii as a model right now. America's only island state which kept on saying, we're going to postpone it, we're postponing it. We're postponing. They went from June, July to August, September to early this month, now to this week. And now within Hawaii, uh, Kauai, the big island, Maui claiming, we don't want to reopen, we're not ready. And the governor's saying, but we're going to open because we have to economically. So people have no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly it. We, we just don't have straight information about how we control this. 
it's not going to go away any more than the flu is going to go away. How do we control it? And how do we let people know that it's not, it's not, some, it's not the bubonic plague? Uh, you left me on the cliffhanger. I said, how many airlines will be around a year from now? And you said? All of them. Right now, they all have the, the, the capacity to be around a year from now. They have the financial wherewithal. But eventually, that's going to run out. But a year from now, they'll be here. Now, you hear this stuff about— but Yeah, but how will they be here? Oh, the, we'll have a smaller—unless we get very near-term, next several days, relief, CARES relief, you know, to keep employees, we're going to have a much smaller airline industry, much smaller, because we won't be able to fly as many places. There are fewer airplanes out there. We have 2,200 airplanes in the United States that are parked of the, of the U.S. fleets, 2,000. And the rest of them aren't being utilized— to any extent. So we have a challenge there. Then we have the, 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 this canard about regional airlines that go out of business and small communities won't have air service. That, that's absolute nonsense. However, you, you've seen the stories where the CEO of America is saying, if we don't get the CARES Act money, we're dropping 30 cities. Yeah, th- that's different than they're going to drop 30 cities that are on the, on the margin. But in terms of small communities losing air service because the regional airline goes out of business, means nothing because we don't have any regional airlines. We have leasing companies. And it's like you saw that one, quote, went out of business while our airplanes went to another another entity. I mean, the, the real thing here is I, I maintain now that no small community that has air service today that is not subsidized, that's viable, will lose it permanently, not in the next year. Okay. So that means I won't be driving long distances to get to an airport? No, people still do drive long distances. But no, that's another canard here. This stuff about if, if we lose air service in Pueblo, Colorado, my God, it, they'll, they'll die. No, all the people are driving to Colorado Springs. It's 45 minutes away. You know, the, the nonsense money being spent in places like Youngstown. We need air service locally. Well, you've got it. It's called one hour away Pittsburgh. So that dynamic is still going to be there. It's just going to be accelerated. And the fares? That's a, that's a real call. They've got to go up, I think. A couple things happening. One, if you have a shrinking airline industry, you lose some economies of scale. Second, if you have a shrinking airline industry with a shrinking revenue stream and they borrowed all this money so they have cash, they're going to pay it back yeah. on a smaller Hello, revenue stream. Yeah. And that means, I think, you're going to see fares go up. I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that's it. I'll give you an example of which, I, which came as a big surprise to me. I wasn't expecting it. The transcons between Los Angeles and New York, uh, American, United, and Delta, the only time you'll find a three-class airline service in America domestically is on the transcons because of all the movie star contracts mm-hmm. with the studios, with the directors, writers, producers, actors who under contract have to fly first class. Well, they're not flying first class right now. They're not even flying. So what did American just do? They used to have 12 flights a day between JFK and LAX. They're now down to two. You can connect friends and neighbors over Chicago. Well, wait. They're down to two. They got rid of the three-class service. They got rid of the A321s on that service, and they're replacing it with two with two 777-200s, a plane that was never designed to fly that route. Exactly. Well, it's sitting on the ground. Now it is designed to do it. <laughs> it's ready. <laughs> we, got, we got it in the parking lot. Pull it out. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. No, that's, that, that is what it is. And, and the fact is, if you can consolidate by connecting, aggregating people over Chicago, you do it. That's going to be the name of the game. And that's Which, gonna, by the way, brings up areas of opportunity that nobody ever thought of before, right? That is, in the midst of everybody getting small, you have Allegiant doubling down, essentially, on their service. They're, they're getting bigger. JetBlue's adding 24 routes. And Southwest just announced they're flying to O'Hare. Yeah, I, I think 
what it is, it's not like they're leaving gaps out there. They're, like Southwest is looking for new revenue streams they didn't have before. I mean, there was no gap any place they're going to fly out of Chicago here. They just know with their brand they can probably get more people from the northern collar counties of Chicago you know, to fly them because that's where O'Hare is. But I remember Herb Kelleher saying years ago he would never fly out of O'Hare, out of Denver, or out of uh, uh, LaGuardia because of delays. Well, he's flying to LaGuardia, he's flying to Denver, and now he's about to, well, Herb's not with us anymore, but the spirit of Herb is flying now, very soon, to O'Hare. Yeah, I mean, things change. That's how you stay in business. You can't be doctrinaire in this business, and that's one reason they're still in business. And so that's not a surprise to you? No, because you got to pivot. you got to pivot. you got to move. I mean, you, you, you don't go to the hymnal and say, I can't do anything outside the hymnal. Screw the hymnal. I mean, you, you've got to make, make, make moves. Can I quote you on that? Yeah, definitely. Everything I say is on the record. Okay, screw the hymnal. I'm, I'm writing that one down. That's a good one. <laughs> so your prediction is the airlines will still be around a year from now? They'll just be smaller? They may be just smaller. They may be the same size if we can get some relief to keep them intact between now and when traffic starts to come back. Right, because right now we're in the beginning of the fourth quarter, which is usually dismal. And this year it's even more than dismal, relatively speaking. And the first quarter is not much better. It, they got to get to the second and third quarters. They do. And, and I think the real issue here with the second and third quarters is how do you, how do you give, give the customer the kind of confidence they need that they can travel? And like we've talked about, that's outside the realm of what airlines can do. But that means they've got to pressure governments to, to, uh, to work together. Well, to work together and, and be clear about this. You don't get a straight story about what this coronavirus really is or isn't. There's more speculation in the media. I mean, it came out the other day. Well, no, well suddenly it might last 48 hours on stainless steel. And it might not. That doesn't help anybody. Right. My thanks to Mike. And when the going gets tough, it used to be the big guys in the airline business that survived the financial storms. But that may not be the case this year in the age of COVID. My conversation with Spirit Airlines CEO, Ted Christie. He's the president and CEO of Spirit Airlines, Ted Christie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you. You're good. Okay. Tell me why you're good. <laughs> well, um, uh, I'm forever an optimist to start. And, um, and I think the future is bright for Spirit. Um, I think we're in the midst of a crisis of confidence and a health scare, and, and those are um, challenging things for the, for the, the populace and our, um, our guests to, to deal with right now. But I don't think that changes fundamentally uh, what we do over the long term. You know, if you take a look at the IATA figures, airlines are going to lose about $84 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, U.S. airlines are hemorrhaging about $5 billion a month. Mm -hmm. It's like that works out. I, fi I finally did the math. That works out to three hundred thousand an hour. Mm -hmm. That's it's hard tough, to get your tough arms numbers around. to look at, right? Those are very tough numbers. Yep, yep. You're looking at those same numbers. How are you getting your arms around it? Well, um, we're, we're facing similar challenges today. We're still, yeah. um, you know, at a loss position, uh, but we've been successful thus far at um, at mitigating the damage from a, from a capital perspective, and been very successful at raising and improving the company's liquidity position um, as the lowest cost airline in the United States, it, it, it makes sense that we would expect that our burn every day would be less because we just carry less uh, fixed expense. And is it? And it is. Um, and it should also um, lo logically, you know, make sense that w with our core traffic being leisure-based traffic, visiting friends and relatives, that sort of thing, we would be the first airline to see a recovery. And let's talk about that because yeah. 
business travel is still essentially dead on arrival. Uh, meetings and conventions, I can't even see them registering. Right. Uh, and whatever resurgence there is, and it's not exactly you know, nuclear physics here, it's going to be driven by the leisure market. That's right. Um, that's been true in every other either um, economic downturn or crisis um, in the past, if 9-11 is your analogy there, or the Great Financial Recession, or or anything like that. Um, the leisure traveler tends to be the most resilient. They tend to be the first to come back. Uh, and we're beginning to see the, 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 the early stages of that now. All right, so the, here's the question. We know it's not a question of when or where, it's a question of how. So how are they coming back? Well, I think it starts with the, the visiting friends, relatives type group. Um, you know, um, there are still people who want to see their family. I think they're comfortable in those positions where they know where they're going, where they're going to stay. Uh, and we can see that across our network. We're predominantly domestic. We, we do have a, a Latin American footprint as sure. well, and you can see it in both of those places. But they're planning more ahead? Uh, no, it's still very uh, close to travel. Really? It is. It's um, uh, what we in the airline business call the booking curve, which is that, that window of time that people traditionally book their travel is still very compressed. Um, so people are still, you know, enjoying flexibility and making their decisions close in. But we are seeing um, that as we headed into the Labor Day travel period and then beyond, it's been, I would say, encouraging. Um, we're not back yet. Peter, uh, we still have some work to do, but um, but at least it appears that, that that they're there and ready to go when they feel comfortable. You know, we saw when the CARES Act was passed and that money came out that some of the provisions of the CARES Act to keep people on payroll and to maintain their flight schedule to their network that they had back in February, you know, were maintaining them in the air and maintaining mm -hmm. them on the ground. Well, those provisions expired on the 30th of September. They did. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen in Congress, whether that's going to come back. But while we're waiting to see it come back, some airlines like American have said, you know, we're going to drop 30 cities. Mm -hmm. uh, they've already furloughed 19,000 people. United furloughed 13,000. Uh, what are you doing in terms of your, your route network? What are you doing in terms of service? Well, it's a little bit of a different story where we are. Um, you know, we've had to make trims, no doubt about it. We're flying less than we could in an optimal period. Um, but we also see a few areas of opportunity. We've actually announced new markets. Um, Such as? Well, we, we finally got our uh, some positions at John Wayne Airport, Orange County Airport in, in Southern California for the it's first time. It's amazing how slots open up at a time well, like this. Well, uh, it is a slot-controlled airport. And um, like you said, not surprisingly, now there are a few available. And we were the first uh, to, to raise our hand. Um, we've re-inaugurated service at Cap Haitian in Haiti. Um, and we're, we're um, launching two new markets in Colombia this fall. Uh, so there's still some activity to the positive as well. Um, we're flying less than we would otherwise, um, and that's got to be the key to, to uh, sustaining the recovery, is getting the capacity back in the market and having people return. Um, and, and there's a confidence level that's required for that. 100% correct. Uh, so what is, I mean, other than doing the responsible thing about wearing masks and sure. behaving well, what are you doing to tell your customers that it's okay to fly? Well, the, the messaging has been key. And, and like you said, early on in the crisis, the industry, broadly speaking, mobilized as a group to try to improve the, the safety message that traveling on board an airplane is actually quite safe. In fact, there have been recent studies uh, published by IATA for one and the DOD did one recently that confirmed that the air quality on board an airplane is actually better than you'll find almost anywhere 
in because the of the recirculation. That's correct. And so convincing people of that is just a steady process. It's coupled with um, facial coverings. It's coupled with regular disinfection, and it's coupled with giving people flexibility, uh, which all of us have done. And and so once you reestablish that confidence with the travel, they start to kind of okay, I can do this next trip and go see grandma. Well, before we get to the flexibility, let's talk about the just the protocols because. You know, airplane cabins and social distancing are sort of mutually exclusive. I mean, they are. Uh I mean, even if you block the middle seat, the distance between me and the aisle seat and you and the window seat is still only two and a half feet. That's right. But the optics are a confidence building. I mean, Delta Airlines has told me that, you know, the number one reason people are saying they're booking Delta now is because they're blocking that middle seat. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing that? We're not. Um, and, and we hadn't since the beginning. It was our view always that the multi-layered approach of regular disinfection on board the airplane, um, HEPA filtration and, and air recirculation, the modern aircraft, and facial coverings would reduce the risk um, to near zero on board the airplane, regardless of whether or not you're sitting next to somebody or not. And so our our objective has been to push that messaging, reassure people that they will be safe on board spirit, um, and, um, and because the, as you said, that social distancing is, is a practical impossibility on board an aircraft. Yeah, because we're not just talking the lateral width. It's the 14 inches of distance between me and the guy behind me. That's correct. So, so the middle seat ends up being a product that's available. It really makes people feel more comfortable. And there are airlines that are offering that. Um, but we're a low fare uh, stimulation carrier. And our core is about giving, giving people the option to get to where they need to be. Right. You got to get there. Mm-hmm. Now, saying that, let's go back to flexibility. Sure. We saw United Airlines sort of drop a little bit of a bombshell a couple of weeks ago that they were going to get rid of the draconian $200 change fee. Mm-hmm. And then within hours, American and Delta followed suit. I presume you did as well. Well, all of us do not have a ch- Every airline, I believe, does not have change fees today. Today. That's right. Of course, um, United, when they made their announcement, said they were permanently canceling. They did say that. That's did, correct. Did, did that surprise you? Um you know, I don't know that anything surprises me anymore these days. Um, uh, I think that they, they're trying to, as you you know, as we've talked about some today at this conference, reinvent their business, look for ways that they can, they can get their consumer more, more comfortable. Um, you know, that, again, thinking about the core of the because way. Because part of your business model. When you think about it, is you pay it's a la carte. That's correct, and I was about to. That's exactly my point. Is it's a product again, and we offer that product to our guests today. Um, even though today we're waiving all change fees, our traditional product did offer them flexibility for a fee. Um, and and so what what's important to our guests is low fares, and the best way we believe to do that is to give them choices. So when you when you remove an item like a change fee that revenue has to be supplanted somewhere else. And usually it means fares rise. Um, have, you, have your fares gone up? Well, in this environment, no. no. Um, I, I'm assuming that the <laughs> algorithms that you depend on to figure out how you project demand or control pricing are out the window. Yeah, this is a different uh, setup entirely. But um, again, looking forward into what um, we would expect going down the road. You're going to have to factor that. That's correct. And, and I think that that will be um, another way for... Uh, our competitors to compete and another way for spirit to compete. Um, and, and we'll read the marketplace. We'll listen to our travelers and make sure we adjust accordingly. We're talking to Ted Christie, the president and CEO of spirit. And when we come back, two things I got to talk to you about masks and whether or not they should be mandatory rule from the DOT. And then the big bad R word, which I know, you know, refunds. You're you're laughing, aren't you? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) But first and foremost, as a tease, let's talk about the masks just for a second. 
and that is we're dealing with something to me that's not political. It's practical, mm-hmm. right? People should just follow the science. Have you banned a few people? We have. Um, and we've I'm been... saying banned a few people for not wearing the mask. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we're obviously uh, reminding our guests of the mask requirement early on in their in their process to the extent that they do not have something even by the time they get to our airplane. We're giving them the chance to buy one and that, those proceeds are donated to the Red Cross. Um, and and then they're regularly reminded on board the aircraft. In fact, now um, you'll hear my voice uh, on board our airplanes uh, talking okay, about. Give, give me your voice. I want to hear. Let me <laughs> hear. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Welcome aboard. Um, so uh, reminding them of, of the various protocols we put in place, of which that being one, and we expect our guests to, to protect each other and protect our team members. To give you an idea of, of the change here that I feel is if, if I get on a plane and the flight attendant says, you got you to put your seatbelt on, and I refuse, I am now in violation of a federal law. That's correct. Right? I could be removed by federal marshals. It's more than just spirit saying goodbye. I'm pulled off the plane, mm-hmm. right? But the DOT is refusing to make the mandatory mask rule a DOT rule. It has, as of yet, not been a rule. Um, of that course, surprises me because um, it's not political. It, it doesn't feel that way to me either. Um, you know, it's a tricky subject for some, I think, um, as, as we've seen across the nation. Um, you know, it's, it's become a discussion around personal liberty and that sort of I, thing. I mean, I, the reason why I'm asking that is I put myself in the role of one of your flight attendants. Sure who doesn't have the teeth of the DOT behind her or him right. to be able to enforce that rule, and who wants to be a cop in the air? It, it can be challenging. Yeah. And um, the way we've addressed that is we made sure that the company is standing behind them. And Good. and that starts with with me. Um, and as I said earlier, I have a pre-recorded message that's on the airplane. Now, when I'm on the airplane, I stand up and tell people who I am and and what we're about at Spirit. And, um, and I tell them about the various measures we have in place, including mass requirement. I think that they see that. They know that we're standing behind them. To the, to the extent we do have, and it's very limited, but we do have some guests who are unwilling to comply, we do ban them from the airline. And that, again, is another step knowing the company is standing behind them. All right. Now the big bad R word I got to talk to you about. The overwhelming number of complaints that we get on this show, there are two. Okay. One, travel insurance. Okay. That people bought insurance that they found out later on was worthless because on page 95 of the insurance company website, they had the exclusion for pandemic, right? Okay. Because they just thought they were buying trip cancellation insurance. Sure. And then the second one was their inability in many cases to get refunds on trips that they didn't cancel that were canceled due to circumstances behind their control. Okay. And it's the DOT rule, right? Sure. They're... And you know the DOT rule. I, yes, I do. I'm, I know you do. <laughs> so have you guys been able to process those refunds? We've done, um, I think, as best we can for our guests to make sure that we're giving them the flexibility they need. So um, we obviously, to the extent that people are canceling of their own volition. So it's not a flight that we cancel, but somebody reaches out to us. Right. Then you you offer them the voucher. We give them a credit, um, which they can apply. And we've been flexible about the time period that they can use that credit. And I think broadly speaking, Peter, uh, people have been very satisfied with that approach. A number of airlines, for example, if I buy a trip in November for March, and of course, a lot of people did that. And then March came around and it got canceled. Sure. Uh, whether they canceled it or not, but we'll use your example where they canceled it, not the airline. Right. The airline said, okay, we'll offer you a voucher good for one year from the day you bought the ticket, not one year from the day you were trying to fly, yeah. which for many people became useless. Yeah. And 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 again, these things have been very fluid, to be yeah. fair. This is a very unusual uh, set of circumstances, but I can speak specifically for us. We've extended that window um, and given people more time uh, and worked with people to make sure that they are feeling comfortable and ready to go. And and you know it can be high touch at times because each person has a unique experience. But I think that's that's served us well. As 
I said um, this morning, our guest satisfaction metrics have been nearly record-setting during the course of this pandemic, which which gives me good confidence that we're treating people fairly. And then, of course, on the flights that you canceled, then you're playing by the DOT rule. That's correct. So if it's um, if it's something that was caused by Spirit, either because we had to pull the flight due to a network concern or a maintenance concern or a crew-related concern, then clearly we would offer a refund. But but because of the pandemic. No, um, that, that as I said earlier, if if you just um, if you're unsure if you're ready to go um, and you're canceling a pre ticket, no, I'm not talking about anybody canceling. I'm saying you canceled the flight because you you couldn't fly there. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. of course yeah. yeah of course. So that when you got covered, sure. And that was a lot of money. Um, yeah, I mean, especially early on. That was yeah. when we had the the greatest degree of disruption was early on, obviously in yeah. that period of March and April. Where I mean, Delta, I think at one point, was writing $1.3 billion on refund checks. Yeah, these are big numbers yeah. um, and can be alarming. And, you you know, we've talked about the cash burn of the business. These are all um, um, big numbers. But um, since then, the networks have settled down, um, and there's not as much churn on a month-to-month basis. So you're, you're finding that to be less of a less of an issue. Now, in the absence of a vaccine or in the absence of widespread, reliable, rapid response testing, where do you see the numbers going? Passenger traffic numbers, yeah, yeah. you mean? Yeah, so um, it's been a steady recovery um, since uh, since the, the, the clear fall off in May. Um, and and we expect that for the leisure traveler, our, our base case right now is that when we look ahead to 2021, it will probably look a lot like 2019 for us. Um, Are you seeing an uptick in Thanksgiving bookings and Christmas bookings? It's still early, yeah. um, uh, but the, the encouraging signs around Labor Day, and even this weekend, um, which is you know not a big holiday nationally, but, but um, we have seen, um, again, encouraging signs. As I said earlier, that visiting friends and relatives traffic segment is, is the initial part, and nothing's more friends and relatives than Thanksgiving. So we, we remain hopeful. My thanks to Ted. And last but not least is the story of low-cost, low-fare Frontier Airlines. How have they survived, perhaps succeeded, as a direct result of the pandemic? It certainly wasn't planned this way, as I learned from speaking with Chief Commercial Officer Daniel Schurz. Joining us now, the uh, Chief Commercial Officer for Frontier Airlines, who's also just made a presentation here in Cincinnati. Daniel Schurz, how are you, sir? All right, good. Pleasure to be with you, Peter. You know, when I look at what's going on, and of course it changes by the hour, as you know, Uh, I'm I'm sure you're doing your schedules on an Etch-A-Sketch machine these days. You can respond to that if you want. <laughs> oh, well, okay. No, uh, no, we're, we're doing them with more. We're doing, we're doing them with more frequency and more efficiency than usual. We have to. We have to keep looking at everything. We kept. We ch- we change things as often as we need to. And that, we're, wa- we're watching. We just need to keep watching for where demand picks up and where it falls exactly. off. Exactly. So, I mean, the old days, you get you know, you put out your schedule once every two months, and now you're doing it once every what? We're, do, we're doing we're doing a new schedule depending on the month. We're doing a new schedule every two every every two weeks. Um, yeah. We're, we're 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 dividing months into parts. But we're, it depends on the season. Obviously, think of December, which we're we're working on right now. The first half of December is a pretty low demand period. The second half of December is obviously is obviously the Christmas New Year travel period. And so we're we're getting we're getting much more exact on what we're doing because we are we are obviously trying to navigate this crisis. You know, when you take a look at what the, the legacy carriers are doing, it, it appears to be they can't shrink fast enough, uh, and they're going to be smaller airlines by their own admission. But when you take a look at Allegiant, Frontier, Spirit, uh, even JetBlue, you guys are going in a different direction. You're actually, in many cases, adding service. We're, 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 certain, we're, certainly, gonna, we're certainly doing better in this crisis. It's, we're, seeing, we're seeing leisure travel 
recover much more quickly than business travel. You're not, but you're not surprised by that. We're not. We're absolutely not surprised by that. Le- leisure travel. Leisure travel is. Leisure travel is what custom, people want to do. People. The population wants to travel. Anyone who can afford to travel, it, it means a lot to a lot of people. Going to see, going to see friends and family, go, getting a ch- getting a chance to go on vacation, getting a chance to put your feet in the water, whatever it, whatever it may be, getting a chance to go skiing this winter. All these things all really matter to people. They, there's an emotional, there's obviously an emotional part of travel, and that's that emotional part of travel is almost entirely leisure travel. Is there a way to say that their their booking patterns have changed? They're much more closer in. We're seeing a, we're seeing. I think the whole industry is seeing a much closer in a much closer in level of bookings. I think it's simply that we don't, there's a lot of things people don't know. You don't know if everything at the destination that you want to do will be open. You don't know what the restrictions are going to be, and so people are people are waiting until they're they're more comfortable to make that to make those decisions to travel. I think it's perfectly rational. I think we will see as as hopefully things return somewhat closer to normal in the coming months. I think we'll see that start to lengthen out. We've seen us we've seen in the last couple of weeks the start of a of a bit further out in terms of bookings. But of course, you know, the optics, the fear factor being you can't have a branding message saying Frontier the airline that takes you to uncertain destinations. <laughs> you can't do that. No, we, we no, and we, we let we let we let we let we let customers decide. We let customers decide. We are we are an airline whose service going into this pandemic was ninety five percent domestic. So we have that. We had the advantage that we're we're primarily carrying customers at a time it. when everything's domestic. That's not a bad deal to be. It's a great place. To, it's a great place to be. Uh, obviously, there are not there are not per se travel restrictions within within the vast majority of the U.S. And so. We're we're letting customers tell us where they want to go, and we've seen we saw this summer stronger demand to the mountains, where obviously you could be outdoors, and we're fortunate to be based in Denver. Ah, so your 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 new branding message is we're going to take you to wide open spaces. Well, we saw custom we we saw custom we saw customers choose wide open spaces. We we've certainly we've certainly shown images of being outdoors. We know we know customers are more comfortable with destinations they can they can spend time outside. The, the risk the risks are better understood today by customers than they were six months ago and now now there's a there's a there's some there's some level of pent up de- desire to travel suddenly people want to get out and we want we want to, we, we're seeing that they want to do it in ways that obviously make them comfortable all right so you notice the uptick in, in mountain destinations what else did you see um, we, we've seen we've seen uh, we've seen Las Vegas leisure demand rec- recover not not back to normal but once the casinos reopened in June, Oh, we, we've seen, we've seen demand continue to improve in the last in the Las Vegas market. Of our big destinations, Florida had the toughest. Florida had the toughest summer. That was part. That was part initially partly driven by where the first significant outbreaks were in in the Northeast and Midwest, which which was up key markets for Florida, and then it was driven by obviously high case counts in Florida in in the month of June and into July. We're seeing we're seeing that we're seeing that we're seeing that recover, but that was that was that was the biggest challenge this summer. I mean, I'm noticing United Airlines doing a huge push into Florida, uh, adding so much capacity on those routes. We, we we're seeing other airlines. We, we're seeing we're, well, we're seeing a lot of people try. We're seeing a lot of the bigger airlines, the legacy airlines, try more leisure flying. Their their corporate travel is obviously very weak. We have the advantage. We have much lower costs. We're better suit. We're better suited to those to those markets. Ultimately, ultimately, we can charge customers lower fares and be profitable. And that's the, that's the, that's the. There's no there's not there's no real secret to being an ultra low cost airline. You have to be focused on costs. But by being focused on costs, we can keep our fares low and we can we can allow more customers to travel. And you've got some new routes coming. We have a, we have a, we have a, we have we have a, we have a few new we have a few new routes coming. Um, we've um, we've expa- we've expanded service this winter in we expanded service this this win- this winter in the, in, ver- in various northeastern cities. We've uh, we've inc- we've increased frequency out of Islip to Florida. We've added we've added service we've added service from Providence to to Tampa and Fort Myers. Uh, we've added we've added service from from Albany 
to Tampa for the first time. And then next spring from I slip riding nonstop service to Las Vegas. That may be your longest flight. Uh, it's cl- it's cl- it's close to our, it's close to our, well actually it may it may be we'll see, we'll see, we'll see it wasn't it wasn't it, it's around our longest flight the the, the plane the, the plane can make it the A three twenty Neo which is now the majority of our fleet is a is is the newest generation engines it's the most fuel efficient aircraft flying today um, and we can as the fuel efficiency is great for the environment and it's great for customers again because it saves us saves us money which we can pass on to customers you know in, in the old days southwest airlines had that flight from islip to las vegas and i kept on telling people on long island if you want to get to la just go to islip with one stop in las vegas you go to la uh, that, that's right and we have we have a we have a substantial operation in las vegas it's our third largest third largest airport in our system and your customers will be able to connect from from islip to various west coast destinations and it's yes you're right we like these secondary airports in the Northeast. Um, we, we fly from primary airports as well, but the secondary airports offer the benefit. You can you can park, walk to the terminal. You're you're a few hundred feet. You're a few hundred feet from I, the. I from, unbelievable. You're a few hundred feet from the plane rather than what feels sometimes like uh, a few miles. My thanks to Daniel, to Ted Christie, and to Mike Boyd. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for continuous updates on breaking travel news, you can always log on to petergreenberg.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.